Tonight we're having the uh, launch of Michael Durek's book, This Deluge of Words. And first, we'll have a word from our CEO of the Writer's Centre, Mr. Dominic Taylor. I'll just have Father Roy's back dinner. Uh, welcome, everybody. As Tom said, my name is Dominic Taylor, director of the Limerick Writers' Centre and Revival Press. I'd like to thank you all for coming out this evening for the launch of this deluge of words by the bard of Bird Hill himself, Michael Jurek. And our first book launch from Revival Press of this year's April is Poetry Month in Limerick. And over the next three Fridays, we will also launch books from Ron Carey, Tim Cunningham and Kieran Bevel. Some of you might remember the last time we launched a book for Michael was back in 2020. It was on Zoom and in the midst of the pandemic. So it really is great to be back doing a live book launch for him. And I believe the wait was worthwhile. As, if I may paraphrase Michael Hartnett, his dam has burst and out has come this deluge of words. This is Michael's third collection of poetry from Revival Press, and is the 143rd title that we have published since we began our community publishing program in 2008. And since then, our publishing activities have straddled many genres, lots of poetry, of course, short story, memoir, history, and the novel. And our prime motivation is to publish and promote writing within the community. Michael Jurek has consistently produced first-class work and I have no doubt that this book would be enjoyed by all who read it. Since we published his first book in 2018, Michael has deservedly achieved more and more recognition in the wider poetry world, and I'm sure that this new book will further enhance his reputation. Revival Press is proud to publish it. And as a community press, our aim is always to give writers and poets the opportunity to see their work in print, that's why we actively encourage writers, from the serious career-minded to people who write for pleasure, healing, personal growth, insight, or just to inform. Many of you may recall uh, me quote uh, Pavla Neruda, the Nobel Prize-winning poet, who said, poetry is like bread. It should be shared by all, by the vast, incredible, extraordinary family of humanity. That quotation from Neruda, we have taken very much to heart at the Limerick Writers' Centre. And we firmly believe that poetry, like all genuine cultural activities, must come from and reflect the clay and soil of our communities. Neruda grabbed poetry from the shelves of the rich and the privileged and gave it back like bread to the people. And that is what we are doing here tonight, sharing with family and friends the poetry of Michael Jurek. At the Limerick Writers' Centre, we value literature not just for its literary value, but see its transformative power both for the individual and society. And we believe that stories, poems, diaries, songs, memoirs do, as Seamus Heaney suggests, function as bearers of value. On two counts, I'm delighted to see so many of you here this evening to support Michael's book lunch. Firstly, it is great that Michael's new work is now available and he will now have the opportunity bring a positive awareness of his work to a wide audience. Secondly, it is through the sale of books like Michael's that we can continue to reinvest and publish new writers. So when you buy Michael's book, 
you're also supporting other local writers. To conclude, I'd like to thank a number of people who helped make this occasion a success. Thanks to, uh, firstly to Michael himself for allowing us to publish his work. Thanks also to Dor Selfer uh, of Lime Square Poets, who has done so much to keep the poetry flame burning during and after the pandemic. She will shortly officially launch the collection. To William O'Neill and the staff here at the People's Museum, and to my own colleagues who have unfailingly supported our efforts over the years, and to Lot Bender, our book designer, who works selflessly to make sure our books are of the highest quality possible. Thank you, uh, Dominic. Now, for those, and there may well be one or two who uh, crept in under the wire, as we say in hurling parlance, who ever even heard of Michael, what's his name? <laughs> and uh, a brief note about Michael Durack. He was born on a farm near Bird Hill, County Tipperary. He now lives in Ballina, County Tipperary. Oh, I'll start again. Uh, we have the same typist, it seems. Michael Durack was born on a farm near Bird Hill, County Tipperary. He now lives in Ballina, County Tipperary. Yeah. His work has been published in journals such as The Blue Nib, Skylight 47, The Cafe Review, The Stony Thursday Book, Live Encounters, The Banyan Review, The Waxed Lemon, Drawn to the Light, and The Poetry Bus, The Honest Ulsterman and Poetry Ireland Review, as well as airing on local and national radio. With his brother Austin, he collaborated on a program of poetry and uh, guitar music. And they have produced two albums, The Secret Chord and Going Gone. His memoir in prose and poems, Saved to Memory, Lost to View, was issued in 2016. And in September 2017, his first poetry collection, Where It Began, was published by Revival Press. His second collection, Flipsides 2020, was also published by Revival Press. Tonight, Revival Press launched his third collection, This Delage of Words. And we're delighted to have Dar Selfer of Lime Square Poets, who will talk and launch the said collection. Dar Selfer. Thank you all for being here. And thanks to Dominic and Tom for being keepers of the flame in the form of Revival Press and April is Poetry Month in Limerick. It's a pleasure to be here to assist in the launch of this deluge of words as we celebrate the joy of poetry and community in its many forms. I was told I could speak up to 10 minutes, but nobody here wants to hear me speak that long. <laughs> so I'll be merely providing an introduction and a few signposts to the collection. I first met Michael in Limerick Poetry Events shortly after moving here at the tail end of 2019. But I really got to know Michael and his work much better during the pandemic when we both attended several online events and series including Lime Square Poets, which is an online poetry series, um, which I run with Lauren O'Donovan, and she sends her regards and congratulations. There are several Lime Square Poets here, and the rest are here in spirit, Michael, including those from across the globe, and we're all cheering you and your work on. On to the collection. The collection is divided into four parts, a key in the lock, 
on the field of play, in the shadow of COVID, and in the forest of language. As is often the case with Michael's work, it opens with the juxtaposition of the past and the present, unlocking and illuminating both the personal and the collective, both evoking and creating memory. Moreover, Michael deftly plants the seeds for the entire collection in this first part. The second poem of this section, Interior Design, brings forth a delightful mixture of humor and a look at the familiar and the loved from a new angle, experiencing the strangeness through the eyes of a poet. It opens with the words, my parents must have flipped and engaged a museum curator or a Belgian surrealist. The kitchen, a dead zoo of body parts, the heads of otter, rabbit, and hare mounted on wooden plaques above the door. Flitches of bacon dangling from the ceiling, wearing his thorny heart outside his shirt, a bearded savior watching over us. As this illustrates, Michael masterfully structures the journey he takes us on, conjuring the past unsentimentally without shredding it to bits, gently. Poems such as the boxers of our childhood interrogate the reality of entertainment and of the child's point of view without hitting the reader over the head, thus engaging us in the experience, asking us to enter the ring. Another aspect which I admire and hope you listen for in, in tonight is Michael's use of form. He not only writes in a wide variety of forms, but his touch is always well-tempered, light, and skilled. It's deceptively easy on the ear, but as some of us know, it takes great craft to accomplish. In this collection, he uses a sonnet, a blooming, a villanelle, a key in the lock, where the form perfectly mimics the content. And there are several more forms, so there's something for everybody. Now, a moment for a personal confession. I've never liked sports. In fact, I've intentionally fallen asleep in several World Cups, countless sports on three different continents. Well <laughs> However, in the On the Field of Play section, the second section of this collection, the rhythms, sounds, and the sensory spell of poems like The Field make the thrills, energy, adrenaline of sport come alive. I experienced vicarious excitement. Poems like Checklist even bring in the unique and local humor and language, and yes, slight cruelty of fans. And even Cucullin makes an appearance. In the third section of the collection, In the Shadow of COVID, both the sense of foreboding and enclosure are conveyed and also the hope that we found in nature, art, and with our loved ones. For poets, lockdown was also a period of flourishing in their poetic practice. Here, the pantoum form, with its repetitions that constantly change place, is very effective in describing the struggles of crafting and keeping poetry alive. One of the feats of this section is the balancing act, 
evident throughout this collection, always tempering hardship with hope, ensuring despair doesn't weigh too heavily on the reader without escaping the dark. The, finally, the final line of building the barn is a perfect example of how Michael gives us a reprieve, holds the darkness at bay, creating an interplay of shadow and light. He says, we witnessed no dogma, no guns, no graft, no hate, the serpent made to wait outside the garden. The final of the collection's four sections in the forest of language starts with a marvelous bridge poem and brings us the title of the collection in a surprising way. I really hope we all get to hear Michael read it because it celebrates the sounds of language from around the world. It's a rich and sumptuous journey in rhymed couplets, a real feast for the ear. And I won't spoil the fun, but Mary gets a guzzle, which is a love poem in the Arabic poetry tradition in this section. And it's a lovely tribute. I'm not sure if it's the first Irish guzzle, but it's a really lovely one. We reach another peak in how way leads onto way, once again, nodding to poetic roots and frosts the road not taken. But importantly, here Michael uses first person. We have an I moment, weaving history and place and beginning to link all the threads together. Also importantly, this is the beginning of the cadenza of the collection. This section has poles or magnet poems, whatever you want to call them, which pull or push away from each other, refer to each other, but are often separated, and their pull and contrasts provide a real momentum to this section, a glue. Pairing holly with noon chorus, a bed of silk with shaggy dog stories. The final poem, The Shortest Way Home, has such an apt message for our times and hits several emotive notes at once. It lingers for a while in collective and personal echoes after its conclusion. In conclusion, I hope you buy the collection tonight and let it weave its music around you. There's nothing left for me to say except to encourage you to cheer for this collection and for Michael as I declare this deluge of words officially launched. In my customary words, Michael, over to you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Durek. I think I've said it before that, uh, you know, on, on occasions like this, I look around me, uh, see if I could identify the person they're saying all these nice things about and uh, wondering where he's gone to or she's gone to. But anyway, uh, anyway, good evening, everybody. Uh, delighted with the, the turnout. Uh, thanks for coming um, to help celebrate my new collection and to support the work of the Limerick Writers' Centre. Um, I'd like to start, I suppose, by saying uh, thanks for all those uh, kind words from Tom and from Dominic. 
I'm honoured and flattered by the, the kind of praise that's being dished out. As I say, I'm wondering, is it, is it directed to me at all or, or is it somebody else? And especially, I'd like to thank uh, Dor Cypher for that eloquent address. Uh, and uh, not only for the eloquence of the address, but for the thought and time that she's obviously put into uh, reading through the poems and finding something nice to, to say about them. Uh, while I'm on the subject of Dora Cipher, uh, I think she mentioned already Lorne O'Donovan. Uh, Dora and Lorne have been running a wonderful online uh, poetry forum on Zoom called Lime Square Poets. It was preceded by Siobhan Potter's Not the Time to be Silent. Uh, and uh, Martin Vernon, who is also here tonight, had a similar Zoom gathering on Friday afternoons based in Ennis. Uh, uh, so I'd like to, to acknowledge the, the sterling work that they did throughout the times of lockdown and separation and, uh, and confinement. They helped keep us poets connected uh, at a time when we couldn't get to Limerick to the on the nail sessions or, or to new launches. Um, so uh, I could mention also a few others like Sandy Anon over in, uh, in the United States in Washington. She's a friend of Limerick and, uh, and Limerick Poets as well. And she runs a wonderful forum called Cultivating Voices. So I've, I've, been, I've been a beneficiary of all those uh, Zoom forums. It's given me a, a wonderful outlet for my work and a, a hearing and an audience and a chance to meet uh, very interesting, lovely people. Um, it's about 10 years now since I first met Dominic Taylor. I think it was in the White House. And uh, I was introduced for the first time to the community of the Limerick Writers' Centre and Revival Press. And over those 10 years, I've become increasingly indebted to, uh, to Dominic and to the centre for all the options they've given to me and the opportunities they've given to me, uh, uh, both reading opportunities and publishing opportunities. And I know that if I hadn't met Dominic that time, I wouldn't be here today uh, celebrating the launch of a third collection and my fourth book and all. So mm. thanks very much, Dominic. And thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's an underappreciated and underfunded uh, organization. So I hope, uh, hope somebody out there is listening and somebody is willing to, to maybe write, that, write the wrong of that. Um, I could mention as well just uh, Dominic's backroom team who've always been so helpful, Marion and, uh, and Sheila and Tom, and especially Lot Bender who has uh, designed the book again with her customary efficiency and precision, and, and she's done the same for my previous books. The uh, exciting cover of this book is the work of my daughter Ruth Jurek, and she's done the cover designs for all my books to date, and did this one with the customary uh, efficiency and with the minimum of fuss and the minimum of delay. So uh, thanks very much, Ruth, again, for a wonderful job on the cover. <laughs> if you can uh, judge a book by the cover, I think this, this book will, will sell well. If you can just <laughs> find it. <laughs> um, just while, while I'm at it, I'd like to acknowledge the support and uh, encouragement of the rest of my family, my wife Mary, 
and Emily and uh, Lillian and Stephen. It's great that most of them are here tonight. Uh, and also my six lovely grandchildren to whom this book is dedicated. And uh, it's brilliant that three of them, the three, three of the girls are here. Uh, Ruby, Tilly and Daisy have made it. Some of them from London and some of them all the way from Scarif. So, and uh, <coughs> the others are missing only because they're doing, they're performing a very important civic duty over at the Markets Field, supporting Treaty United against Longford Town with their dads. So, um, I think that's the that's the acknowledgements. And uh, again, to the audience, I'm uh, amazed at the spread of of, of people here. Uh, people like Matt Mooney up from Listole and Catherine Ronan from Cork and others from far distant places and far near. So thanks very much for making the effort to come out and, and uh, oh, two, two, two newcomers, <laughs> down, newcomers down from Kildare and, uh, and, and Dublin from Manahide and, and, oh, and Selbridge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sneaked in. So anyway, that's, uh, that's all the... Um, the uh, Acknowledgements. Uh, I suppose I better get on and read a few samples from the book. Uh, Dor mentioned that it's in four sections, so maybe I'll read a, a sample or two from each of the sections and um, give you a, a taste of what's in there between the, the wonderful covers. Uh, I'll start. Uh, the first section is mainly concerned with uh, memories of childhood, youth, and early adulthood, and uh, I'll read. Uh, one called Hard Hands for Starters. On his deathbed, my father remarked upon the hardness of my hands in closing his, repeating the mantra, your old hard hands. Still baffled that a life of pen pushing had failed to plane the coarseness out of them. Today, he's 19 years in the grave and I contemplate the still unyielding hands bequeathed to me by farming forebears, Durax and Gearns, Clearies and Gildays, who milked the cows and followed the plough, and from the maternal limb of our genetic tree, tradesmen and herdsmen, Moronis and Hazes. Raised the middle child of three, all sons, the youngest coarse palmed, like myself, having been a farmer all his life, the eldest with calloused fingertips from countless years caressing a guitar, <laughs> the stiff handshakes with which we greet the world, belie, we hope, the softness of our hearts. Thank you. Uh, the second one is a, is a form poem, it's a sonnet, and it's one I'm very attached to myself because it evokes uh, very warm memories of my early years as a teacher in, in Nina, County Tipperary, and uh, the young colleagues, young 20-something colleagues at the time, like myself, uh, with whom I shared such, uh, such wonderful social evenings. So the poem is called On Whelan's Floor. For Donal and Mary. Turfed gently out of the widows or high bee, no homes to go to. The night not done until we'd filed into the book lined sanctuary 
of Donald's cosy flat in Summer Hill. To sit cross-legged about the walls like far-flung San Franciscan hippies. No need for chairs. Lights dimmed, the wine cups filled, a guitar magicked from the music shop downstairs. Oh, William Wordsworth knew that to be young was very heaven, but to be young and in love, beguiled by those Lightfoot and Tim Harden songs, the leaves of grass and reason to believe. Work in the morning, time for one encore. We sang another song on Whelan's floor. Thank you. So I'll move on to the sporting section and for, again, a bit of apologies to people who have, My who have no interest in sport. <laughs> um, I, I've, been a, I've been a sports fan all my life and um, my, my favourite sport, uh, well, for, for, for a while past has been rugby. And my favourite sporting venue in the whole world is Thoman Park across the city uh, in, in Limerick. And the poem I've written about Thoman Park is an unusual one in that it doesn't celebrate one of the great victories. Uh, it focuses on a very eerie experience about 10 years ago. It's called Fog at Thoman Park. The night the fog slipped through the gates and sidestepped the ticket checkers at Thoman Park to catch the last act of the drama with its cast of Munster Reds and Cardiff Blues. It swallowed entire the Maerstone end. Watching the denouement from the Badenanti Terrace, our misty horizon was the halfway line. We urged our boys to cross it, to stay out of sight, the match a one score, nip and tuck affair. And for five unearthly minutes, our wish was granted. Without pictures or commentary, we tuned our ears through the cadences of the crowd as the Munster pack advanced phase by remote phase towards the putative triline. A whistle's shrill, a minute's nervous silence. Must be the great Ogara shaping the kick for goal. And then a sonic eruption. The scales lifted from our eyes as embodied ghosts loomed into focus the ones in red flying the sightless wings of victory. And uh, in, in my earlier life, I, I grew up in, in hurling country, GA country, North Tipperary. And uh, my second poem is set in Thurlis, the cradle of the GAA and uh, uh, in Simple Stadium, where I once played as a youngster before it became a kind of a proper stadium. Thanks, <laughs> 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 Yeah, not far from Mullinahoney. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, my hurling poem is actually a, a fantasy poem. Uh, its central character is the legendary Irish hero Cúhollán, who in his earlier uh, life was known as Satanta and. One of his great feats was driving a ball over, I think it was all aerial hurling, was it all hurling in the air? Over the Cooley Mountains anyway, with some kind of a stick or club. So uh, the GAA has kind of um, appropriated Cúhollán as its first superstar. 
uh, even though there are some people who would argue that what he was playing was much closer to golf than to, to hurling. The Pug Fodder, or Long Pug competition, I think, celebrates that occasion. So in my poem, I've, um, I've brought Cúholland back to life in the 21st century, and I've put him out there to test his mettle against the, the stars of the modern era. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't. I didn't get. Uh, I didn't get any Limerick players into this mix. I think I had written before the great, the great age of Limerick, Limerick dominance. Yeah. So this is Cohollan at Semple Stadium. Cohollan legged it from Dundalk to Thurles, vaulted over the town end wall, and togged out under the Canaan stand, flexing his muscles. The synthetic jersey shredded. Steam from his ears melted the plastic helmet. And bending his hurley to test its spring, it snapped in two like a chalk eye stick. So they handed him a bundle of Torpy's best, securely bound with metal bands. First sideline cut, the ball took flight, ricocheted from the round tower of the Rock of Cashel. Penalised for overcarrying, booked for a frontal charge, and red carded for back chat. He sextoned off the pitch, muttering, fuck this for a lark. <laughs> and I spit on your Tony Kelly Wimps, your puny Joe Cannings, and your TJ Reeves. <laughs> Dialing his agent, he grouched, call me Satanta from henceforth. I'm going back to golf. <laughs> now, find me a course with plenty of par nines and a muscular opponent with a powerful long game. Agent says, give me a mo. I'll get you Bryson DeChambeau. I want someone with a tremendous ego, a great big lump. Oh, I know the very guy. His name is Trump. <laughs> uh, the, the section on, on COVID, I'll just read one, one, the first poem from that. Uh, uh, as Dor has said, COVID provided kind of some unlikely benefits, I suppose, the, the bringing together of poets through Zoom and so on. And, um, and uh, in my case, anyway, I got to know an awful lot of people I would never have met uh, uh, otherwise. But uh, the section uh, deals with um, various moods uh, evoked by the COVID. Uh, restrictions. So I'll start with the one called March. It seems to have vanished. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. March, <clears throat> the third month of the calendar, a dangerous one. In like a lion, out like a lamb, many weathers. Caesar was butchered on the Ides of March, Christ crucified on its knowns. St. Patrick expired on the 17th, the anniversary, so the biblical chronologists say, of Adam's farewell to the garden and Noah's maiden voyage aboard the ark. The COVID waves washed over us in March, leaving our arks at anchor, our airships grounded, our garden gates slammed shut, shut in our faces. So, <clears throat> mm -hmm. 
Now, the, the last uh, section is the longest section. It, uh, it has uh, a mixture of poems in different uh, forms and styles and different uh, topics, some public, some private. Um, I think Dor mentioned the poem called The Guzzle, called Black Dress. And another thing that came out of the COVID was that meeting poets, especially American poets, I was introduced to forms that I hadn't previously been that familiar with. And one of those is the guzzle, which uh, originated in the Arabic world. And uh, it has a few basic rules. It's written in couplets. Uh, there is a kind of a recurring phrase at the end of each couplet. And in the final couplet, the poet is expected to identify him or herself in some shape or form by name or nickname or whatever. Uh, the guzzle doesn't have to rhyme, but uh, in my case, I, I decided to apply uh, a full rhyming pattern to it. And this poem is called Black Dress. It has already achieved a, a little bit of notoriety on uh, having been aired on Clare Radio. Uh, people at a funeral uh, came up to me uh, inquiring about the black dress and whether it still exists. Or, uh, black dress. It was 72 or 73 perhaps, you wore a black dress. My suit was tawny grey and you serene in that black dress. A parish dinner dance calling for some finesse. You might have stepped from a limousine in that black dress. Snapped by a camera's flashbulb for the local press. You were beautiful, I was lean you in that black dress. It was short with crimson buttons. In its caress, you looked every inch a booby queen in that black dress. So, a regular Mike and Mary, photogenic, more or less. Me, scrubbed up to the nines. You, pristine in that black dress. <laughs> Okay, I'll just read a couple of more from the final section. Um, this one I, I like as well, I kind of, I'm kind of attached to it. I'm interested in place names, and I like uh, browsing through atlases for, I suppose, the, the sound of place names, the look of them, and uh, the whole challenge of teasing out their origins and meanings, uh, especially Irish place names, which uh, are derived mainly from the Irish language and uh, sometimes have a couple of elements to them. And uh, in some instances, an Irish place name may have a couple of different, totally different meanings. Laba, for example, in an Irish place name can mean a bed, something very soothing, but it also usually means a tomb or burial place. So uh, my poem about place names is called A Bed of Silk. Not blessed with the gift of Gwilge und Leavon, nor boasting a master's in toponymy. And yet, I know enough to figure out that big means small, more big, bally, townland. That ban is white, duff, black, and boy, yellow. I'm certain kills a church and Kyle a wood. That Ross could be a promontory or grove. Knock means a hill, Clare or Moy, a plain. So I reach for the cartographer's handsome book, 
whose pages are splashed with art and poetry, to seek out the delicate island of Inishkeen, the hillside of the women, Shlieb Naman, the grove of the brothers, Grana Braher, Lugna Quilla's hollow in the woods, the flaming waterfall of Asro, or Kenmare's cosy little nest, Nadine. I contemplate a resting place in Clare, in Lavashida, where the cold comfort of a tomb is transfigured by the alchemy of the Gaelic tongue into a sumptuous nuptial bed of silk. Okay, so I'll, I'll finish with um, another form poem. Uh, the villanelle is much better known than the guzzle, uh, and uh, lots of people have, have attempted uh, successfully to write villanelles. It has uh, its own, you know, um, very tight rhyming scheme and uh, uh, a very interesting pattern of uh, repetition. So I think uh, the villanelle goes down well, especially in readings. I think it, it probably reads better or uh, hears better in, in a reading than it reads off the page. So. This one is based on two of my all-time favorite movies, Casablanca and Dr. Zhivago. So it's called Paris or Varicino. They'd always have Paris or Varicino, Lara and Zhivago, or Ilsa and Rick. Up on the big screen, we down below in the darkened parterre, the warm glow of compromised love washing over us from exotic remembered Paris or Barikino. Mind-hopping from Moscow to Morocco, an ecstasy of escapism from the humdrum domestic to the big screen from our seats down below. For Bergman, Bogart, Christie, Sharif and co had little in common with a Kathleen and Mick. They'd always have Paris or Barikino, while we had Ballybunion Salt Hill or Sligo. But hold on a minute. Here's the, tr the trick. Between the big screen and down below is merely a matter of scale. Picture show and reality trade on the same emotions. The magic of love means we'll all have Paris or Varicino, whether up on the big screen or here down below. Well done. Thank you. Well, just uh, thanks again, Michael. Uh, wonderful. And um, now, uh, before you go mad and head for the drinks table, please keep, keep the publisher and keep the author out of the poorhouse or the respected poorhouses and buy the book and then have a drink or three. Happy Easter, folks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>